Well, it's a joy and an honor to welcome you again to Graceway Baptist Church in our Sunday School Hour. We're going over the lesson in the life of Abraham that I've entitled 13 Years Later, 13 Years Later. And this is going to be presented on March the 3rd of 2024. So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 17 and we'll look at, uh, uh, we'll start at verse 1 and go to verse 8 now as we move on into this story. This is a story about a man who was called of God to uh, trust God, to follow God, to obey God by leaving his family, by leaving his homeland and going to a completely different country to be a stranger in that land, to live a nomadic lifestyle with uh, flocks, herds, goats, sheep, that type of thing, and uh, also just to simply obey God. God said, I'm going to give you and your descendants uh, this land. Well, a couple of problems with that. When you go to that land, there are other people who already assume it's their land. Who are you to come and you know, take over our land? That usually doesn't work very well unless you do it in massive force or something like that. Uh, normally, the invaders, especially if it's an individual like this, I mean, I know he had more people with him, but um, he was just one man with one um, estate. And they come into this land where there are kings and there are tribes and uh, other uh, people living in that land. That usually doesn't turn out too well. All they had to do was kill Abram and, you know, the thing is over and the vision is gone. So that, that's quite scary when he goes over there. And then there's this other promise, and I'm going to give this land to your descendants. And Abram would go, what descendants? I don't have any children. And time is going by and God keeps saying, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give it to your descendants and all this is going to happen. And Abraham is, uh, you know, every time it's like, you know, 100% God, thumbs up. I'm, I'm right here with you on all of this. There's only one problem. You don't seem to be giving me any offspring. Because in the human mind, if you're going to give somebody land and their descendants are going to inherit it, you would expect babies to be coming along. And you would expect not just one, but multiples of them and raise them up and get them acclimated to the land and uh, all of that and then multiply and, and uh, take things over. But God doesn't seem to work in our ways. Of course, we shouldn't be surprised because the Bible does say in the book of Isaiah that as the heavens are above the earth, so are His thoughts above our thoughts, His ways above our ways. And we also know that in that same book, Isaiah, it says that just as the water comes from the heavens and they water the earth and then they return back to the heavens, you didn't know the hydrological cycle was in the Bible. No one else understood it, but it's in Isaiah. The water's coming and then going back. And then God says, it accomplishes what I sent it uh, send it down for and he goes that's the way my word works my word does not return to me void or empty or powerless or having not done its work it always gets the job done and so uh, Abram didn't have that he didn't have the book of Isaiah he didn't have a Bible remember Moses didn't write this until after the slaves were coming out of Egypt and so Abram is just living life, remembering what God had said, and trying to fulfill what God had said, and uh, he's living his life. Well, God has 
come to him and reiterated. And, and every time it seems like there's a little bit more that Abram understands. And, uh, but it's been 13 years. Now, 13 years may not seem like a long time when you're reading it in the Bible. Because you go from one page and then you turn the next page and it's been 13 years. But when you're living that and when you put yourself in Abram's sandals and you're in the desert, you're living in this, this land and you are um, waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. And it's not just a, a week or two. It's not just a month or two. It's not just a year or two. 13 years. Now he's got one son. Ishmael has been born and Ishmael's a teenager by this point. But God is making it clear to Abram, Ishmael, that's, that's on you. That's what you thought might fulfill the covenant. That's not what I said. And he is not the one that I promised you. This is going to be one from your own body. And then later is going to make it clear from Sarah's body. And both of these people, Abram and Sarah, are getting very old by this point and past the uh, time of their childbearing. So uh, they're getting a little impatient, and yet God doesn't seem to say or do anything. You ever been in that position? Why isn't God answering me? Why isn't God doing something? What, what's going on here? Well, there we are. So if Abram and Sarah had a problem with patience, they were surely being tested. And I think it's fair to say they did have it to some degree, or Ishmael wouldn't have come uh, to be born, right? But Ishmael is now 13 years old. So it's been 13 years since Abram has heard anything. And Abram and Sarah, and Sarah, Sarah, Sarah are still waiting, just waiting and waiting and waiting. And um, I remember the old uh, story about Thomas Edison when uh, his assistant said, we've tried and tried and tried 10,000 things. And nothing seems to work. This is impossible. And Edison said, no, we know 10,000 things that won't work. We only need one that will. Well, when we think about Abram and Sarai in this situation, 13 years. Depends on how you're going to look at it. Optimistic or pessimistic. And uh, they're either like, 13 years, is it ever going to happen? Or they could look at it and should look at it. We're 13 years closer to the fulfillment of the promise. We ought to be that way as it comes to the second coming of Christ. I hear people say from time to time, oh, every generation thought Jesus is coming and he didn't come in their generation. He probably won't come in ours either. After all, it's been over 2,000 years. Well, we ought to be looking and saying, wow, we're 2,000 years closer to the coming of the Lord than we were in the times of the Apostle Paul. We ought to be optimistic as we look at this. But um, I kind of suspect, reading between the lines, that Abram and Sarai were not optimistic, saying, today may be the day, this may be the year. It's closer than it's ever been before. I don't uh, get the idea that they feel like that. And I don't blame them. I probably wouldn't either. And I don't know that for sure, but that's just kind of the way it, it seems as you read all of this. And so probably that's not the most encouraging thing. Hey, Abram, I know it's been 13 years, but you're closer than ever before. That's probably not 
going to help them. There's an old um, story about a little girl that she would come home from school every day and eat lunch and then go back to her school for classes. She had to go through the big town square and they had a, a big courthouse that had a clock up in the uh, tower of the courthouse. And every day when she was uh, walking home, she would go through that square on her way home and the clock would chime. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Except on this particular day, it chimed another one, thirteen. Well, there is no thirteen o'clock, but the little girl didn't know that. And she ran home and she said, Mama, Mama, it's later than it's ever been before. Okay, that's kind of cute and kind of funny, but that is the truth. That as we look at things, it's later than it's ever been before. And the fulfillment of God's word and the fulfillment of God's promises, they are sure, they are going to happen, but they happen on God's timetable, not ours. And as you remember, the Bible says that with the Lord, a thousand years is as a day. And a day is as a thousand years. You know what he's saying there? God's timeless. He doesn't worry about time. He's not limited by time. He's not pressured by time. It's all about the timing of God. God is sovereign. He does what he pleases. And he does it when he pleases. And he does it how he pleases. Well, we don't like that as human beings too much. We like to be in control and we like to get everything scheduled and we want it to be done on our timetable. Well, that doesn't happen because God's more interested in timing than time. So let's pick up in our Bibles with our verses that we're looking at today. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Well, then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him. Remember, he didn't have a Bible. God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, exceedingly fruitful, get that, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are just a stranger, the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Wow, that's... Quite a revelation there, and those are some significant promises. And this is why you find today that even after all of these thousands of years, you don't find any Hivites, you don't find any Jebusites, you don't find any Perizzites, you don't find any Ammonites. All of those nations and tribes and peoples that are listed at this same time that we are reading about this, 
but you do find Jews. You do find Hebrews. You do find the descendants of Abraham. Why is that? Because of this promise and this covenant that God made. And this is why you don't find a nation of, of the Philistines or a nation of the uh, those ites that we mentioned before, you don't find those kingdoms. You don't find that king. You don't find the Hittite king anywhere. But you uh, do find a strip of land in the Middle East named Israel. Why? Because God gave them that land. He made a covenant to them. And uh, while they are not faithful to their part of the covenant, God has certainly and will certainly be faithful to His. Now that ought to be encouraging to all of us that God always keeps His word. Always. When we look at this particular story though, I want you to think about something here. Point number one, as time passes, the description of God becomes more important. Now when we look at this, God says, I am God Almighty, the Lord God Almighty. Now that's not an unfamiliar term to us, right? Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We've heard that since we were little kids. And we hear people talk about Almighty God and the Almighty, things like that. But this is uh, something that Abram has to know and has to have reinforced. There are all kinds of gods that Abram used to worship in his father Terah's household. We're told that in the, I believe it's the book of Hebrews. And then there are all kinds of Canaanite gods and goddesses all around him. Everywhere he would go, every time he does uh, any marketing or any trade or buys and sells livestock or grain or anything like that, he would be confronted with all of the gods and goddesses of the Canaanites. And so it's significant as he gets older, as time has passed, maybe, maybe questions would come into his mind. Maybe other people, maybe even some of his own trusted servants like Eliezer or somebody like that would say, Abram, are you sure you heard right? Are you sure you understood all of this? Are you sure that God is going to do this? And maybe a Canaanite would say, you know, it's interesting what you think, what you believe, and what you're waiting for, but I sure don't see any evidence of it. Uh, maybe God tried and he just couldn't do it. When I was a kid, there was a Lay's potato chip slogan that said, no one can eat just one. You remember that? If you're my age, you do. And then uh, I remember a time where they had the jingle, he tried, but he couldn't do it. He tried, but he couldn't do it. Remember that? Well, is that the way it is with God? He tried, but he just couldn't do it. He's still trying, and maybe he'll do it. Maybe it'll all come to pass. Maybe all of the prophecies of Scripture will take place. God is certainly trying hard, and we sure hope that the devil doesn't win an advantage. We sure hope that the world doesn't win an advantage, and we sure hope that politics and the economy don't crowd God out or make it impossible for him to do his work. Now that's preposterous, because this is God, what? Almighty. He has all power. Now as we think about him having all power, understand this. Whatever God does, no matter how big it might be, he never has to psych himself up for it. He never has to gain information about it. 
He doesn't have to train for it. He doesn't have to work himself up to it. He just does it because he's got a limitless supply of power to do anything that he wishes to do. Now, when you uh, look at somebody who is a weightlifter and uh, you are in awe of them because they lift something that is uh, maybe close to a thousand pounds or maybe a thousand or more, I don't know, and you watch them lift it and let's say that they're successful. Now, one thing you know is they probably can only do it once. I doubt they would have the energy or the strength to do it again. The other thing you know is they did not do that the first time they tried to lift anything. They probably started off maybe with 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 50 pounds, 100 pounds, and they worked their way up to it, but there's only so much they can lift. And they can't lift 2,000 pounds, and they can't lift 1,000 pounds as many times as they want to do it. You know why? Because as strong as they are, they are limited in that. Well, we see the Lord God Almighty where there's nothing too difficult for Him, and we see Him as the one who does not have to work His way up to anything, and He's saying to us, I've almost got it, give me 10 more years and I'll have this. That's never the case. He can do anything He wants at any time. After all, He's the one that spoke the universe into existence with just a word. And when He speaks, there is no option. It has to obey. It has to happen because He is God Almighty. And so we think about this and we say that this God revealing Himself to Abraham, He's worthy of those 13 years. He's worthy of the 10 years before that. He's worthy of all of the time before that. Abram is 99 years old. He's worthy of those 99 years. He's worthy of Abram's patience. He's worthy of everything that it might require of Abram for this promise to take place. And because things are getting more and more difficult, Sarai is way past the childbearing years. Abram is an old man as well. Is he going to be able to father a child? And yet God says, don't worry about any of those details. This is not on you. I am. And notice those two words, just like he revealed himself to Moses later on, the great I am. I am God Almighty. There is absolutely nothing that he cannot do. So your responsibility, what is it? Just obey me. Just trust me. Be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will, not might, not try, but I will make my covenant between me and you and multiply, will multiply you exceedingly. So God reveals himself with this term almighty, meaning that he's worthy, worthy of trust, worthy of patience, and the almighty can do the impossible. You don't have to worry about it getting done. He's worthy of surrender because if you're Lord God almighty, there's no one else to turn to. Now, if you've just got a whole bunch of gods and goddesses out here, pick the one you like the best. Pick the one that appeals to you. Pick the one that promises the most. But if there's one supreme God, then there's nowhere else to go. If he's worthy of, uh, it means he's worthy of trust. In other words, Abram, there's not like there's a better deal coming along. You know, you might buy a car and you might do all your research and you say, this is the car that I want. Only to find out that after you buy it, 
It's cheaper next week. The same model, same features. It's cheaper next week. You ever had that happen? You ever had it happen to where you bought the car you want? Oh, we'll keep this car till the wheels fall off of it until they come out with newer models and newer features, newer technology, and all of a sudden you're dissatisfied with this one. Trade this in. We got to get that one over there. We do that with clothes. We do that with houses. We do that with a lot of things. It's our consumer mentality. Well, think about this. If there is God Almighty, that means there's not a better deal coming along. There's not somebody else with a better covenant. There's not someone else that says, hey, you know, this God, Yahweh promised you this, but I, let me make a deal with you. I can give you this and I'll throw in this to boot. There's nothing else. He is God Almighty. And that's the thing that we have to remember. He's worthy of our trust. No better covenants to wait for or to shop around for. And Abram was to be constantly aware of God's constant presence and constant power. He doesn't weaken. He doesn't leave any of his power behind when he shows up. And there's no more taking matters into Abram's old, uh, own hands and no more suspicion that God is weak, distant, or maybe even just a little bit inept. And so we'll get Hagar and we'll help him out. We'll make this work for you, God. Don't, don't you worry yourself about this. We've got it. Nothing like that anymore at all. And, it under, and the understanding that God is always and constantly at work, even when we can't see it, feel it, or understand it, he's always at work. He's not passive with his arms folded, taking a snooze somewhere in heaven. Okay, secondly, in verses 3 and 4, let's look at this point. Blessed assurance. Makes you think of a hymn, doesn't it? Well, listen to this. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying... As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. So we find in this particular phrase, Abram's doing what he always does. He's worshiping again. He's worshiping again. That's a constant, normal thing for him. Worship was not an aberration. It was not something that was out of the ordinary. Everything he did, he worshiped. I was... Uh, reading something the other day that Paul Tripp wrote, and it was about the power of God and how God created everything and He controls everything. And then he said something uh, like this, paraphrase. That's why when you go to your stove and you put a pan of water on the stove and you light the stove and the flame comes out and you let it sit there long enough, the water always boils and it boils at always the same temperature and so Paul Tripp said this this is pretty intriguing so that the consistency of boiling water gives you an opportunity to worship God did you hear that in other words everything that we encounter in our life gives us the opportunity to worship our God who is almighty. The devil can't change the boiling point of water. The devil can't change the course of the earth or anything like that. Humans cannot destroy the earth through our technology or anything like that. God's got a plan and God is working his plan and he is the one who rules and reigns over all of it. So with this in mind, God is saying to Abram, Abram, you think you've got problems. You think you cannot 
fulfill what I want to be done. Don't worry, I've got this. And I've always had it, and I always will have it, and it's not dependent upon you. There's a good word in that for all of us because we think so much depends upon us and our decisions and our wisdom and our opportunities and all of that. But God is more sovereign than we really understand and he's got the power to back it up. And so the covenant here is affirmed once again and Abram has no choice but to worship. Worship is seeing the worth and the power of God. He's worthy, we say. The worth of God. Worthy. In fact, the old English word for worship was actually worth-ship. The worth-ship of God. The weightiness of God. His power and His sovereignty is overwhelming to us because He's controlling as the Creator and as the blessed controller of all things. Our lives are held in His hands and even our circumstances. And so we can rest in all of that, knowing that wherever we find ourselves, He is with us and His power is with us and He is glorifying Himself and uh, conforming us to the image of His Son, according to Romans 8. And that's why Romans 8, 28 is so wonderful. It works together for good because we love God and are called according to His purpose, not because we like the trial or we like the outcome, but because, Romans 8, 29, it's conforming us to the image of Christ. That's our ultimate goal. It's all good, God would say, because it's doing what I promised to do. And so we worship God because of His worth, and we also remember what God had promised in the past. Now, Abram is hearing God say it again. I'm going to tell you again, Abram, what I promised. I'm going to reiterate all of this. And you and I are so blessed. We are so blessed because we have the completed revelation of God in 66 books of the Bible. And we can look at it and it always says the same thing. And uh, God is faithful to His Word. And so we look into His Word and we remember who God is and we remember what He has commanded. We remember His promises, all of those kind of things. And they're reiterated to us through the pages of Holy Scripture. So worship is remembering what God has promised. That's why we sing some of the songs we do. They remind us of who God is, what His Word says, and what He has promised. And worship should enhance our understanding of God and His ways. Psalm 25, verse 4, David said, Teach me your ways. Not just your doctrines, that's important, but I need to know the ways of God. I want to walk in your paths. I want to know how you work. I want to be in step with the Holy Spirit of God. And so it's not about feelings or experiences or new revelation or anything. It's walking with God with what He has already said and already promised. Okay, we got to hurry. Number three, Abram is identified by faith. Now, people say from time to time, oh, why do you have to talk about your faith? And why do you have to bother other people about your faith? Oh, it's a private matter. I just don't really want to talk about it. You've heard public figures, entertainers, politicians, uh, when they're asked about their faith, well, that's a private matter, private matter just between me and my God. Well, Abram would not uh, think of that in that way because he's identified by faith. Faith was just 
who he was. And he was constantly conscious of God. Not perfect, obviously. We've seen those. But he was always conscious of God. It wasn't just a, a private thing because his name is changed. That's a pretty public deal. Now, um, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Well, why is that, God? For I have made you a father of many nations. Kind of weird for a guy with no kids. Abram would indicate that he's an exalted father, a father of many. Well, what's the first question you ask when somebody says, uh, what's your name? Oh, my name is exalted father of many. Oh, cool. How many kids you have? Zero. And so when God says, I'm going to change your name, maybe Abram had this, whew, maybe he, he's going to change my name to um, owner of min, much cattle, owner of many goats, something like that. But he doesn't. He changes his name from father of many to father of nations. Now, can you imagine when Abraham announced this to his household? Can you imagine when he would go down to the county courthouse and sign documents? And uh, when people would say, what is your name? I'm the father of nations. Oh, really? You, oh, you are, are you? As far as I know, you only have one kid. And uh, that wasn't even by your uh, main wife, what's going on? Everything was kind of uh, embarrassing. And if God is, uh, Abram is going to tell what God has promised, you know there would be more than one or two snickers out of all of this. I'm going to be exceedingly fruitful. And I, uh, my descendants are going to rule over all of this land. And, you know, there's some, you know, Hivite or Parasite that's going, uh-huh, because they didn't see their kingdoms or their tribes going away at all. So, when Abraham did this, these literal names, kind of like Native American names, if you hear somebody named Running Deer or Mighty Warrior or something like that, you know exactly the meaning of it. And when he said, my name is Abraham, uh, what's your name? I am the father of nations. This is embarrassing. This is kind of a tough thing. And you know what people are going to say. But in the mind of God, it was already accomplished. Notice I have made you a father of many nations. This is as good as done because God had promised it, even though Isaac was not yet born. And uh, even uh, when we think about that, God has said this is not going to be through Ishmael, even though he is now 13 years of age. Number four, the land was as good as his. And God even says in here, the land that you are a stranger, in which you are a stranger, I'm going to give it to your descendants. But in the mind of God, it was done. It was settled. When God says it, it's settled. Whether you believe it or anybody else believes it or not, it is taken care of. And so also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger. All the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. That's why Israel's there today, folks. And I will be their God. That's still yet to be fulfilled. Most of the Jews in Israel now are agnostics. They're not really practicing and they don't really believe 
in God and everything's just a tradition. It's just heritage. It's what our forefathers did. We're going to do the things our ancestors did, but they don't really believe it. But there's a day coming when they will. So this promise is effective today. And uh, again, why the Jewish state still exists and why the race of the Jews still exists and why the nation of Israel is on land given to Abraham and his descendants. Now, this is in spite of dispersion. How many times have they been exiled and lived in other countries? In spite of persecution, anti-Semitism, and multiple attempts to exterminate them, and yet they're still there. So what's left to be fulfilled? He says, I will be their God. And so God is going to redeem the Jews. And uh, please understand, I was taught when I was a kid that Jews had, were already saved. I remember a Sunday school teacher saying, the Jews have their own way to God, a special way to God. No, they don't. They have to be saved by grace through faith just like anyone else. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. And there are indications in the Old Testament that salvation was not through the offering of lambs and bulls and goats. Those things pictured the coming and the sacrifice of Christ. They were saved by the grace of God and through faith. But there's coming a day when something amazing is going to happen. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Zechariah 12.10 And I will pour on the house of David, those are Jews, and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, those are Jews, look at this, the spirit of grace and supplication. This is Old Testament, folks. And then they will look on me whom they pierced. You ever heard about Jesus having nail-pierced hands? Well, this is written long before they ever crucified anybody. And yet they will look upon the one whom they have pierced. That's Christ. And yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Can it be any more clear than that? Well, how about Jeremiah 31.1? At the same time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, the tribes, and they shall be my people. Can it be any more clear? Well, what about the New Testament? Romans chapter 11, verse 26. Paul puts it this way. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Right? So what's the promise there? God's not only going to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant of the race being preserved, multiplied exceedingly, and occupying the land of Canaan. But he also says, I've got another thing in mind. Faithless Israel is going to be redeemed and made right with God. Wow. Aren't you glad as a Christian you're going to see that? And you're going to see these people that have been so stubborn and so rebellious so faithless, and they've been so persecuted and been through so much when they recognize Christ as their Messiah. I tell you, I get uh, goosebumps when I think about a Jew today, just an individual Jew, when they come to know that Jesus is their Messiah. That's amazing to me. 
and, and a great thing. I love going to Israel and being around Messianic Jews living in the land of Israel. That just was incredible to me. But that's not even close to the picture that we have here in the covenant. God says, I will be their God. And then we have those promises that we just read. So understand this, God will fulfill everything he has promised to Abraham. And this is assurance, blessed assurance, that he will fulfill in life and death his promises to you as well. Praise his name and glory to God. Amen? Trust him. Rest in him. He is worthy of our trust. Well, thank you for your time. And uh, thank you, those of you who teach, for the work that you do. Thank you to those of you who keep up with this week by week. I really appreciate it. Uh, pray for us and may the Lord bless you and we pray for you as well. Thank you again and God bless.